This is Call on the Field Stands. Hosts of the show are myself, Ryan Denchev, and Jeff Mapis. Uh, my buddy Jeff is not in attendance here tonight. He's got some personal matters to attend to, uh, but I wanted to get an episode out as there's a couple topics I wanted to touch on before we get into a slew of topics upcoming that are going to take up a bulk of our episodes. Particularly, I mentioned last week, uh, Jeff and I on the podcast talked about doing a mock draft video uh, that's going to be coming next week. We wanted to get it this week, but as mentioned, Jeff's unable to uh, get on the mics tonight. Uh, He's out doing some home shopping out here in the Cleveland area, looking for a new spot. And uh, hopefully he will, not hopefully, it's my understanding, we're definitely going to be able to get that video recorded next week, the mock draft video Uh, We're going to break down our entire first round, maybe give some extras, uh, but in general, we're going to go through the entire first round, highlight some guys that uh, we liked out of the combine, some some spots where we expect different guys to go uh, and the like. And we're also intending to do another episode of the mock draft type stuff after free agency, uh, because, you know, obviously a lot of things can change once once free agents start getting taken off the board. Um, and you know, there's a lot of things that could really happen in that regard, really, especially with trades. You know, a lot of times you see trades so far as picks happening draft day, uh, but you got to think there should, there could be even some motion, uh, prior to draft day, particularly because, I mean, everybody knows Joe Burrow's going number one. That's almost a certainty. Everybody would be shocked, including myself, if Joe Burrow doesn't go number one to the Bengals, which ultimately means, the Washington Redskins right now, as we speak today, are on the clock for the NFL draft. You know, they already have a quarterback drafted, Dwayne Haskins, last year. Obviously, he didn't have the greatest season. I think his first game was like week eight or nine. He really struggled early on, threw a bunch of picks. Uh, might even got benched and then came back in, you know, benched for a game, came back in the following and repeated his starts. But, you know, towards the end of the season, he really got his shit together and was playing a lot better. So, I would be surprised, you know, we've heard rumblings that they might, you know, attack and go get Tua at two. Uh, I would be surprised if that happens. I, if I was the Redskins, I wouldn't do that. I'm sticking with Dwayne. He showed a lot of promise. Obviously, we saw what he did in college, throwing up 50 touchdowns and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I think they got their quarterback. There's a reason why they drafted him in the first round, and it wasn't to move on already, even though they got the new coach there in Rivera. Um, so my assumption is they can go one of two ways. Obviously, they can either take Chase Young or Isaiah Simmons or Okuda potentially, but uh, you know he's had that injury at the combine. Probably not really anything major, but one would assume it's probably either Chase Young or potentially Simmons. A lot of people, and probably in our mock draft next week, are we're going to have them taking Chase Young. But the fact that they're on the board right now, as we speak, in you know beginning of March. They could easily trade that pick. There's a lot of teams that get that are going to want a quarterback. There's a lot of teams that are going to want Tua. And if they can trade up and get him at two, uh, that could be pretty interesting. But without uh, going through free agency, as I mentioned, who knows? There's so many quarterbacks that are up for grabs right now and and potentially on the move. You know, obviously Tom Brady is one of the big names being mentioned of potentially leaving. I guess there was some talks that was reported with him and Belichick the other day that didn't really go that well. Phillip Rivers already said, and he's already moved out of L.A. He's done with them. So there's a, a, a slot that's open. Who knows what's going to happen with Jameis Winston down in Tampa Bay, uh, the, uh, Las Vegas, almost called him Oakland, Las Vegas Raiders and, and Gruden over there could move on from Derek Carr. There's rumblings of that. There's just a lot of different things that could to go on from now until the actual draft. So, you know, we're going to readdress the mock draft once the 
the free agency rolls through and a lot of these pieces fall into place, particularly the QBs. As I said, anybody could want to trade up at two and try to get Tua. And, you know, there's a lot of teams, like even the Dolphins, you know, that's who I'm probably going to, my suggestion when Jeff and I go through the mock draft and we put it together as we go back and forth on where people go, I'm going to think the Dolphins are going to get Tua, but they might get anxious and try to trade up too. Uh, to number two with the Redskins. So there's a lot of different things that can happen, and it's going to be interesting You're just knowing that, you know, they're on the clock right now, and they're on the clock and so in advance. We already know who's going number one, and number two doesn't need a quarterback. So, you know, there's a lot of different things that could can happen. So looking forward to the mock draft next week. Like I said, there's going to be a video. We're going to throw that up on YouTube. Keep an eye out for that. I'm sure we're going to make plenty of clips for social media, Twitter, and all the like. Um, so we're going to have some stuff out there, hopefully get some comments and some feedback and, and some interactions with the peeps out there on that. But like I said, I wanted to get this in this week because I do want to go over a little bit of NBA overview recap. There's a couple topics. You know, we saw, uh, you know, LeBron versus Zion matchup from the other night was really a great matchup on ESPN. They, they faced off a couple nights before that as well. That was a sparked a lot of interesting conversation. You go, you got Giannis versus LeBron for the MVP. You got, Zion or Ja for the the rookie of the year whether or not that's a debate you know we even mentioned it a a while ago Jeff and I did when we talked pardon me a little bit NBA could Zion coming in even mid-season make a push for that rookie of the year Uh, and you know I always said like yeah if he comes in and balls out there's going to be conversations and that's exactly what's happening right now he's already getting into that and the other topic I wanted to touch on is Christian Yelich Kind of made an interesting signing the other day. Nine years, $215 million, uh extension after, I think, next season. I think he has this year and next year, and then that extension kicks in. So that is an interesting signing for a number of reasons. You know, you got a former MVP signing what looks like a pretty lackluster contract. That's going to really set the market, one would assume, for some of the other guys up and coming, particularly who I'm going to get into here in a few minutes, Francisco Lindor, who is probably... I'd have to say the hottest commodity of player who is currently in arbitration who's set up for uh, a big contract on the way. Mookie Betts, obviously, is another one, and he already got traded. So, you know, there's obviously conversations about are they going to trade Lindor? Uh, What are they going to do with that? Are they going to stick him out this year? Are they going to trade him this year? Are they going to trade him next year? Are they going to re-sign him? You know, there's just so many things up in the air where that's concerned. And like I said, Mookie Betts is kind of in a similar situation, but they already traded him. Uh, and, and this is the final year of his deal, obviously. And uh, he, I think, slot, slotted for, I have to look it up here in a second, 26, 27 million uh, through arbitration this year and set up for free agent. Probably going to resign with the Dodgers at some point here soon uh, and, and lock them in long term. But, you know, the biggest player within arbitration with years that is going to be in that Manny Machado, uh, are they going to trade him? Are they going to keep him? Are they going to trade him earlier, later? What are they going to do with him? That has, is now Francisco Lindor, who, you know, just happens to be on the Indians, who is, you know, our like I mentioned here in Cleveland, our favorite team. So I'm going to have quite a few words to say about the hell topic. But as mentioned, looking forward to next week. Check that out on social with the mock draft stuff. It's going to be fun. And, you know, obviously we got a lot of different things. March Madness is kicking off. Selection show, the 15th. Games shortly thereafter, obviously. Tourney round one beginning the 19th. You got NFL free agency on March 18th. You got MLB opening day on March 26th. NBA playoffs starting April 18th. NFL draft uh, in late April. So there's so many different topics on all the different sports that are going to be jumping off. So really want to get into some of these other topics we have here on the list today, as mentioned. So 
you know, I guess first let's get into this baseball conversation because that's kind of where a lot of my thoughts and, you know, I've kind of been saving some of these comments, but I think this is a good time to kind of address them because, you know, there's kind of a little lull, season's getting underway, you got this spring training coming about, this is when things you expect to start happening. You know, once you once you start the season, it, it seems oftentimes that it's difficult to really work out these long-term big contracts, you know, at the beginning of the year and, and mid-season and things like that because, you know, you focus on winning games and, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, obviously, like I mentioned, Christian Yelich gets nine years, $215 million, averages of $24 million a year. Um, and I think that starts after next season. So they, he's, he's going to be in Milwaukee for the next decade. And the interesting thing that comes to mind where that's concerned is how is this going to impact what the Indians do with Francisco Lindor? So first of all, if anybody thinks that the Indians are going to be able to sign Lindor for anywhere near $24 million a year, they need to go sit back down because that is not going to happen. It's going to take well over that price tag. We're talking something around, I don't know, $35 million a year. If they offered him 10 years, three hundred fifty, he might not even take that. Like That's the interesting thing. And there's kind of been discussions about, does he want to stay in Cleveland even if he gets paid the same amount, knowing that they won't be able to put any other players around him? It's a big question mark uh, and concern I know that he's probably going to have. But there's multiple ways I can go about doing this. So first is trading him. Let's address that really quickly. So so you got to look at how things played out with Machado. A similar situation. You know, Baltimore has him. They stink. It, that's also kind of a different component of the whole thing is the Indians don't suck right now. They're kind of in the thick of making playoff pushes. They missed playoffs last year, but barely. They should be right in the thick of the mix again this season. So that's a little bit different. But Baltimore waited almost too long to trade Machado because his value had declined so drastically. They trade him midseason uh, on the final year of his deal before he hits free agency to the Dodgers, ends the season there, and then goes to sign to have his first season uh, in San Diego last season. So that's kind of where we're at with with Lindor is right now he has this and next season fully on a, on arbitration. So if they traded him right now, obviously they're going to get two, the team's going to get who he gets traded to is going to have two years of Lindor before they need to really address the contract situation. One would assume they're going to re-sign him before that, but similarly to the Yelich, it's probably going to be an extension beyond his last you know, legit year on his arbitration contract. So that is a big thing. The, the Orioles waited too long. I don't know if they thought they weren't going to suck or what, but they waited too long to trade him, and they got less value for him. They could have traded him the year before and got a lot more. That's what everybody will say. You know, some of the experts talk about what the market was the year before would have been astronomically higher. So that's kind of where we're at Lindor right now. Do we trade him now, get more now, but have him obviously for this less of the season? First of all, I think that demoralizes the locker room and the clubhouse, you know, your best player. And I mean, you know, they missed the playoffs barely last year. As I mentioned, you got injuries already piling up. Uh, you know, you need that guy out there to even give you a chance. If he gets traded, I think the clubhouse kind of falls apart and their season is basically a waste. Or you could, you know, other option, save him till next year and trade him. You know, trade him before the season next year. Obviously, you're going to get less value now, but you'd get more value than if you traded him midseason. And obviously, if you let him, his contract expire he's not going to be resigning here in Cleveland. The only way Cleveland keeps him is if they sign an extension. He's not going to hit free agency and stick around. There's no shot that happens. So 
those are kind of the options, you know, how much investment do you want? What's your opportunity cost of trading Francisco Lindor and the back end of getting these prospects who one would assume are going to be good and eventually make an impact in the MLB roster, but there's a lag and a gap between there. You know, you got to kind of weigh the options of how long your window is going to be of sucking before those guys can come up. Are they going to make a big enough impact? Is it even going to matter? I think they need to just fucking sign the guy. Uh, and there's numerous reasons why. First of all, you talk about hamstringing the organization. That's what, you know, the, the owners of Dolans are going to say and, and people who think they should trade them. You know, you sign Lindor to three hundred fifty million for ten years. Thirty-five million to, goes to one player. You know, their 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 payrolls barely a hundred, and right now it's only eighty something. So your payrolls barely a hundred, and the highest it's been in the last who knows how many years has been I don't know around one fifteen, one eighteen, one something like that. Maybe one, I don't even think it's even reached one twenty. So you're hamstrung in that regard, putting all your eggs in one basket in Lindor. Pretty good basket, sure, but all your eggs in one basket. However. You are going to lock in arguably probably the best shortstop in the game. One of the best young talents in the game. Dude has won multiple gold gloves, won a platinum glove or whatever they call it as the best uh, defensive player in the entire league, in the entire major leagues. And he hits, you know, consistently 30 bombs. So no one's going to argue his talent. Also, when you talk about payroll, their payroll, like I mentioned right now, let me pull this up, is somewhere in the ballpark of... $85 million. Right now, according to sporttrack.com, spottrack.com, how the fuck you say this? They are currently 25th lowest in the league at $84 million per season. So you're telling me the Minnesota Twins have that much more of a market that they can afford $132 million payroll. There is no argument. The Cincinnati Reds can afford a $133.5 million payroll, but the Indians are hamstrung to be no above 100. Get the fuck out of here, first of all. He's making 17 through arbitration. Let's double that to 35 a year for 10 years, let's just say. You're telling me that, that still doesn't even put him at $100 million. If they did that, that would add, I guess, well, okay, that would uh, barely put them at $100 million. They would be at 101 million, adding 17 to the payroll. And that would put them up to from 25th up to 20th in payroll for the entire league. You're telling me you can't afford that? Look at the roster right now. It's not that stacked, and you got enough guys to make playoff push. You make the playoffs in the MLB, you have a chance to win the World Series. So, keeping Lindor in that respect, even if you just look at the raw numbers like that, yes, Jose Ramirez is getting paid. Probably less than he he should because he's a stud, even though he had a little up and down season last season. But, you know, we had Kluber for all those Cy Young years. He was getting underpaid. We got guys like Clevenger. I mean, he's injured now, but he's getting underpaid based on his value. Shane Bieber underpaid based on his value. You know, there's a window of opportunity right now to capitalize on this. And if you want to argue about the, the window of opportunity dissipating later once all these contracts expire and now you need to spend more money and the market's higher then you got to bring in some different guys to build around Lindor etc 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 let's think about this for a second this is something that I don't understand why the Indians can't contemplate doing what is to say they can't sign this dude for that 10 years as an extension and then trade him two years into that extension year so you get him for four more seasons he's got eight years on the back end at 35 locked in a year 
which is what whatever team's going to try to pay pay him anyways once he hits free agency or as an extension if he gets traded. Let's say he goes to, uh, you know, the Yankees, for instance, which makes a lot of sense, or the Red Sox, you know, whoever. A team is going to want to pay him. A team that's going to want to pay him is going to have to pay him about 35 a year for 10 years. So you're telling me they're not going to do it now because they don't get that front end. They're still going to want him those last eight years of that contract. He's still young enough. He's still going to be good enough. They're still going to want him. His value is still there. Is it as much there as it would be today? Of course not. But the opportunity cost, as mentioned before, you're getting four extra years of Francisco Lindor. The trade-off and the payoff to those four years that you would have him is worth it to me to get less return from prospects down the road, which you're still going to get some decent prospects if you trade a, how old will he be, Francisco Lindor? Not even 30-year-old Lindor. I don't know how old he is, but he's not very old. Four years down the road from now, He's going to have no value. Get out of here. Of course he will. Eight years locked in contract guaranteed to be on that team for eight years. Of course they're going to want him. So so that could be an option that's never being discussed in the media right now is they're talking about re-sign him or trade him. Why not re-sign him and then trade him? How is that not an option? You don't really see it very often, but oftentimes, you know, we're seeing these gigantic contracts come to guys like Miguel Cabrera who are, you know, getting paid now for what they did earlier in their year. Lindor is in that prime right now where he's going to be getting paid for his prime years, six, seven, eight years from now when he's still balling out and is going to be looking for another contract, a second contract. And if you're an Indians team that wants to reload at some point and, and finds that point where, you know, we need to spend more money to build a team around Lindor and we don't have that money, well, then you can look at a rebuild. But right now, that's not where we're at. That's not the case. So, the whole Yelich situation kind of ties it all together. Is I, I don't really understand why he took so few dollars. And is that going to try to set the market for the Indians so they can come back and say, oh, well, we'll, uh, we'll offer Lindor 10 years, $250 million. You know, that's a million a year extra than Yelich or even, you know, 30. I think Lindor turns that down, but then they'll be able to say, oh, you know, to the fans, oh, well, we tried. He said no. Fuck that. I don't know why they have, or they're have. they so adamant they have to trade him uh, now or sign him long-term and keep him that entire time. I think there's another option on the table, and that is, as mentioned. Uh, and you know Another thing, when you talk about full scope of payroll, as mentioned, the Indians are currently 25th in the league in payroll. I did some numbers right now, and I wrote these up and took a picture of it a while ago, several weeks back. So uh, in column one, I have the payroll from last season of all the playoff teams and then their revenue, and then equated the percentage of revenue that they're spending on payroll. There's a lot of different numbers in here that are kind of skewed a little bit. Like, for instance, um, you know, the New York Yankees have a $223 million payroll, but that's only 33% of their revenue because they make so much goddamn money. $668 million is what this estimated as their revenue. So their revenue or their cost for the for their payroll was only 33% of their revenue. That's pretty low uh, in the grand scheme of things. I took a median of the playoff teams. It was 44% of revenue was spent on player payroll. Uh, and another outlier, for instance, was the Tampa Bay Rays. How the fuck the Tampa Bay Rays made the playoffs last year with a $64 million payroll is beyond me. See, these are the outliers that the Indians are going to look at and be like, oh, look what the look what the Rays did. And it's the same thing with the Indians. 2016, they had all these injuries and and all these things with their pitchers and everything like that. And they're like, look what we did with the 
you know, only three pitchers going through the playoffs. Almost won a World Series. We can replicate that. We can just do the same thing next year. That's a fluke. The Tampa Bay Rays are an outlier. I don't know how the fuck they did it, but they did. 28% of their revenue was on payroll. The lowest of all the playoff teams. The Yankees were second lowest. The Dodgers, again, they make so much damn money. Even though they have the second highest payroll on this list at $202 million, they're the third lowest in payroll to revenue percentage at 38%. Those are the outliers. We're looking at the Washington Nationals as an example. 51%, $172 million versus $356 in revenue, 51%. Atlanta Braves, 42%. St. Louis, 48%. Houston Astros, 169 payroll to 368 revenue, 46%. The Twins were even at 125 to 269 at 46%. Indians, below 40%, 38, tied with the Dodgers, spending 108, getting 282. So like I said, the median, I calculated at 44%. That would mean to meet that median, that average right there of the median, the Indians would need to spend $124 million based on last year's 282 projected revenue. 124 million to reach that middle line of payroll to revenue percentage. They're currently, as mentioned, 84%. There's a hell of a lot of wiggle room right there to get up to even the median of what playoff teams are spending on payroll based on their revenue. We're talking 40 million. They they just have lying there. Oh, there's a particular player who, if you doubled his salary, would put him at 35 million. That's an extra 17. You're still under the 44%. And you still have $23 million to play with to get to that 44%. So these are the numbers that just don't make sense to me. Like, the Indians are selling themselves short, and Francisco Lindor is an opportunity to show the fans that ownership gives a shit. And also show other players that the ownership gives a shit. Free agents might want to come here. Current players might be more willing to sign an extension knowing that they're willing to spend money and build around a team and and try to go for it when they have opportunities to do so. Instead, we're getting the opposite. And they're bitching about, you know, they're bitching about their their costs per <clears throat> what it's costing them. And they're losing money year to year basis. Like I may have said this on this podcast before. If you are an owner of an MLB team and you are basing your value of your franchise on annual bottom line budgeting, you should not be an owner. The, the Dolans bought the franchise for roughly 320, something like that, 320 million. It's currently over a billion valuation. They've tripled their money. They're, they have a $600 plus million dollar profit over a 20-year window. You can lose $5 million a year during that span, and you're still walking away with $500 million in your pocket. And they're not losing $5 million a year, I assure you that. But even if they were, they'd be walking out of their deal of selling their franchise with a $500 million surplus. These are the things that drive me nuts as a fan. When you hear things like, oh, we can't afford it, like, then don't own the team. Then don't own the team. I understand it's a business. So why don't you reinvest a little bit and try to go get a World Series or just sell the fucking team? If you don't want to take a loss, but a, a potential loss, I don't even know what they're, what it would really cost to take a loss. These numbers are obviously all projections and this 282, like, there's obviously a lot more uh, that goes into, uh, you know, paying for a team. You got a hell of a lot more employees than just the payroll. You got a hell of a lot more expenses than just payroll. But one would assume they're not far off and they're probably still making money knowing the Dolans. That's their bottom line. They have to make an annual profit. So there's room to improve or increase that payroll and still make out in the end. And if you're not willing to even take a loss, even if it's slight, 
And I wonder what that payroll would have to get up to until they, you know, got a loss. I, th there's no way they're ever going to, you know, give those numbers out, I'm sure. But they've already made out if they sold the team today, they'd be making a half billion in profit. So they need to put money back into the organization or sell the fucking team. That's kind of where I'm at with that. It's kind of frustrating seeing this window of opportunity with all these players on on cheap deals like Lindor's and the Ramirez's and the Clevenger balling out, all these guys getting underpaid, undervalued uh, for their contract, and we don't want to do anything about it, and we have an $84 million payroll right now. Like, that's laughable and that's a joke. You've had the best record in the major leagues since Tito got on board, what, seven, eight years ago? And we're sitting 25th in payroll and about to drop off once we lose our best player and probably go back to sucking a little bit. Like, who knows what these... Guys who are coming up through the farm system are going to do. We got. I, I feel like we got lucky with that Lindor was as good as everybody said he was going to be. And we also lucked out with Jose Ramirez because I don't think anybody saw that coming with how good he's been. Are we going to get lucky and strike gold again with one of these young guys coming up the pipe? Hopefully. You know what I'm saying? Hopefully. But if not, we'll be stuck and we'll be fucked. There's enough room there to build something. And that's what I want to see them do. And we'll get into this a lot more. You know, there's a lot more to come so far as what's going to happen with Lindor and what maybe they'll sign a free agent at some point. Maybe they'll make a trade. Like, who knows what's really going to happen and if this 84 is going to go up or down or what's going to happen. But 84 is trash. And there's plenty of room to grow. Like I said, to get to that 44%, they've got 40 million of wiggle room. So let's make a little bit of that happen. Throw some of that. I mean, you just got rid of Kipnis, sells 16 million. You traded Kluber, you traded Bauer, you got all these guys you got rid of. One would assume was to free up some space in the payroll to throw out Lindor. Let's see if they do it. So, like I said, we'll get back into that. MLB starting up uh, the season here in a couple weeks, and I'm sure we'll talk plenty of baseball on this podcast. And I can guarantee you some of these, more, some of these conversations are going to come up uh, more so down the road. So... Moving along in this episode, trying to make this quick, let's get into the NBA very quickly uh, and go over this briefly. So really, there, there's not a whole lot to talk about per se because we are still in the middle of the season. Uh, you know, the, things are kind of shaping up a little bit, coming into, you know, falling into place, if you will. There's still a decent amount of basketball to play, though. You know, there's 20 some odd games, 20 games or so left. You know, a lot of these, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten seeds are going to be battling. Uh, you know, the top seeds are pretty much locked in. I mean, the fucking Bucks have locked in their spot in the playoffs like three, four weeks ago, uh, which is insane. It's currently sitting at 53 and nine. And the Los Angeles Lakers are running away with the West, mainly because LeBron James is having another one of those seasons. And that kind of comes, uh, you know, first I want to just briefly mention that Zion versus LeBron matchup from Sunday night was incredible to watch. The fourth quarter LeBron put together was sensational. They had a very straightforward game plan of getting the ball out on the outside wing area and letting shit move, setting things up from there with LeBron touching the ball in his hands each possession and kind of seeing how the defense rotates. LeBron decided if he was going to attack, he's going to kick. And that really set things up. LeBron went off. But Zion, man, that dude is the truth already. Uh, I saw some cats on ESPN on Twitter. I don't know if they said it today or yesterday. I saw it today. Talking about how Zion's not big enough. And he's undersized. And he didn't impact the game when he dropped 
21 points in 30 minutes and went to overtime uh, and almost beat the Mavericks. Like, I'm like, what the fuck are we talking about here? Dude is like 6'6", 285, big ball and shit down low, getting offensive rebounds for days. Like, come on. What he needs to do is learn how to shoot goddamn free throw. I don't even know what his percentage is, but it's probably barely 60%. He'd be putting up even better statistics if he was knocking down free throws. But anybody who thinks he's not doing and not impacting games is what the guy said. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Yes, there's plenty of room for his growth and opportunities for him to evolve. Dude is like 19 years old. Of course, he's not going to have it all figured out. Of course, he's going to have lapses in, in, you know, why is he, you know, doing this down low and trying to attack this way when all he has to do is kick it out or dribble out and reset. He gets an offensive rebound. Why is he trying to go straight up when some seven-foot guy's right? For, like, there's different things that he's he's doing goofy turnovers, uh, putting up bad shots at times. But in general, he's making athletic plays. He's making the passes uh, where he needs to a lot of the time. Uh, he's He's putting in the work on defense. He's hustling up and down the court. He's grabbing boards. Like he's doing pretty much all, and he's not really getting a whole lot of minutes yet. So, you know, obviously he's going to grow and evolve even more. And hopefully they make this push and make it into the playoffs because if they get that eight seed, let's see how many games back they are currently. If they get that eight seed and go against the Lakers in the first round, that would be fun to watch. They'd probably get swept, but I think the games would be a lot of fun to watch. They're currently five games behind the Grizzlies. It's looking pretty shaky at this point, but I would love to see them make that push and go up against the Lakers in the first round because all eyes would be on Zion and you really get to see what he would want to do and what he if he'd be able to step up in the moments, which hasn't really seen. I mean, he's on ESPN been multiple times this season already, but he hasn't seen those big moments in the NBA yet. Uh, so it's going to be fun to watch that if that happens. But currently, as mentioned, Grizzlies' John Morant versus the Lakers would also be a lot of fun to watch. I think they also probably get swept, uh, but John Morant has really been balling. He... I mean, it's going to be hard to to argue that he should win the MVP. Yes, you know, Zion's putting up numbers uh, and, and getting his. But, you know, when John's been able to do it this entire season, it's hard to argue and compete that he should get the nod. Like, he's going to have a, a 82-game resume where Zion is going to have half that. That right there is worthy. Like, even if his stats per game are worse, which right now they're about the same, even if they were worse, I'd got to give it to to Ja. Uh, and as we mentioned, like, could Zion push for it? Yeah, he's pushing for it. Uh, yeah, and I think he will continue to do so. But the only way Ja loses is is if he kind of blows it and starts sucking it up. Uh, whether, you know, if they go on a 10-game losing streak, he starts sucking ass. You know, they miss the playoffs, and somehow the Pelicans come back from the five games, jump all these other teams, make the make a playoffs. Maybe you can give it to, to Zion, but there's no reason to think that, that Ja is going to do anything but continue to ball the fuck out. Dude is dropping 25 a, a night with these and pushing almost double-digit assists over the last couple of weeks. So it's going to be his his award to lose, and uh, I think he's going to lock it up. I'm thinking about two weeks, it's going to be about 15 games, 12 games left, and it's going to be clear-cut John Morant, Rookie of the Year, no-brainer. But when we look at MVP, it's been a lot of discussions as well about should you know, the question is, is LeBron getting enough credit and love for what he's done and getting enough MVP attention? Obviously, the answer is no, he's not. He's kind of is now that they're talking about it the last couple of days. Um, you know, he's been going off. And it's hard to really say that Giannis is not deserving of the MVP. Like this dude won it last year and has put up better statistics this year. He's getting two more points a game. He's getting one 
about one and a half more rebounds a game and equaling his assist mark. And, oh, by the way, they have the best record in the NBA, which we all know goes a long way. LeBron's been screwed multiple times out of MVPs. You know, Steph Curry got it a couple times because they had the best team, even though LeBron had the best season. You know, even a couple years ago, I think it was his last LeBron's last year in Cleveland. I mean, he had a better year than than uh, James Harden did, but James Harden got it because he had more wins or, or you know, the, he, he played in the West or whatever. Like, LeBron's always kind of getting screwed out of it uh, when he's deserving. This year, he deserves an MVP, of course, but that is not going to happen because Giannis deserves it a little bit more. I don't think LeBron's going to get screwed out of the MVP this year. I think it's deservedly going to go to Giannis. I think that was my preseason pick, memory serves, that Giannis would win another MVP. Uh, and you know what? He's going to he's gonna do it. Like like I said, they always you always see the best team, the best player on the best team probably gets it. But you know, the argument for LeBron comes into effect is he is the most important player, and he has been his entire career. He's the most important player to the team, and if he's not on the team, the team's not very good. If Giannis goes off the Bucks, they're still one of the best teams in the NBA. Like They're still stacked around him. Yes, LeBron has AD, uh, but he's been injured uh, quite a bit this season. And even if you you know count out AD, who else they got on that team? Pretty much nobody. It's LeBron, Anthony Davis when he's healthy, and that's it. So, you know, he is more important. And when he's not on the court, they they don't play very well. You know, that's kind of what we were talking about. Like, can't count out the Lakers. You can't count out LeBron James. Yeah, dude's in his 17th season. He's 35 years old, but. All we've seen him do is evolve his game to be the best version of himself for the moment. Like he's leading the league in assists with 11 assists almost a game. He's never in his career even averaged double, double, double digit assists at all. He's taking more threes than he has throughout his entire career this season. He's taking less free throws, which one would assume, you know, that means he's attacking the rim a lot less than he has uh, throughout his entire career. So this is one of the this is the lowest amount of free throw attempts he's taking per game. And like I said, the most three point attempts at six point three that he's ever taken in his career. So he's molding his game around what he's able to do physically, is my assumption. I mean, yes, they have AD and that pick and roll game is disgusting. And that's where a lot of his eleven assists a game are coming from, but they don't have a lot around him otherwise. So He's just shifting and molding his game, still getting his 25 a game, still getting his rebounds. He's averaging eight rebounds a game, which is about his career average. But the way he's led the league in assists is beyond, like it's mind-blowing a little bit, to be honest. LeBron James in his 17th season just decides, oh, fuck it, I'm going to just lead the league in assists. It's pretty wild. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the MVP. Uh, but I'm more excited to see what happens once these playoffs get underway. A little bit more parity, if you will, in what's going to happen in the NBA standings. Uh, obviously, the Warriors ain't making the fucking playoffs. Finally, you know, we're not going to see the fucking Warriors again. Uh, unfortunately, we're not going to see the Warriors or the Cavs. You know, the Cavs weren't in last last year either, but, uh, you know, just got some some new blood in there. You know, the Bucks are kind of taking it over. The Celtics... I think are still going to make a deep run. The Heat have surprised a lot of people, including myself. And in the West, I still, honestly, I think it's going to be one of the LA teams. There's a lot of talent, obviously the Rockets, you know, the Jazz. Uh, we see the Thunder. They got a lot of talent there as well. Like even the Mavericks, which could be a sneaky, sneaky team now that Porzingis is back and Luca is continuing to ball the fuck out. So there, there could be some more interesting matchups 
and and potential upsets kind of things. But I still think the Clippers, yes, they've they've struggled a little bit as of late. Dropped a few games, like I said, almost six games back, five and a half from the Lakers. Now, I still think. Th- I mean, they still, in my opinion, uh, hard to say. But I think that I still got to go with them as my favorite to win it all. You know, it's hard to go against the Lakers and LeBron James. But the the Clippers bench is the best in the league, and I got Kawhi and Paul George. Like, how much better can you really ask for? Yeah, the Lakers have two of the best players in the, in the NBA, including LeBron, but they don't really have anybody else. Can LeBron, once again at 35 in his 17th season, carry a team through that many games in a season? Continue. I mean, he's been in a... How many games has this dude played when you in, include his, his playoff games? A ridiculous amount. Is he going to physically be able to carry his team night after night after night through the playoffs and particularly one would assume against the Clippers in the conference championship and be able to will them over the hump when it's just him and AD against everybody else. And when that everybody else is fucking Kawhi, who is probably the second best player, well, I guess third best player in the NBA at this moment, uh, one could argue behind him and Giannis, LeBron and Giannis, like, and then you had a Paul George in there as well. Plus, you know, your six man's Lou Williams is going to win six man a year for the 87th time in his career. Like, the Clippers are stacked, and one would assume they're going to have it all together. I mean, they're still 42 and 19. No one's saying that they're, you know, really struggling. They're still number two seed in the fucking West, but they're going to have it all together, and, you know, they know how to win. Kawhi knows how to win a championship. So I still think I'm going to have to go uh, with the Clippers over the Lakers. We'll see how that kind of shapes up. Uh, but, I mean, the Bucs, that's going to be obviously my pick for for the East. You know, like I said, the, the, the Celtics and the Heat, I think, could give them troubles. The Raptors don't really scare me very much. I think they're still the Raptors. Um, <laughs> the same old Toronto Raptors. I guess I don't have to run into the Cavs, but, uh, you know, same old Raptors, I think. And I think the Bucs are really fucking good, and they got Giannis. So I think they're going to be able to cruise to the East, especially in the early rounds, and then be – refreshed and ready to rock and roll against whoever they play probably the celtics in the conference championship and and go on to uh, play one of the la teams which i think is going to be the clippers so i'm looking forward to the the remainder of the season uh, but particularly the beginning of the playoffs you know the the rest of the season i'm I'm, i like to see kind of what these young guys on these young teams can kind of do on the bottom of the standings to close out the season but once that's over they're out of it and then let's move on to the second round more or less um, but you know, keep an eye on the, the Mavericks as mentioned, uh, they, they might be a sneaky team come playoff time, but still going with the Clippers and the Lakers. So like I said, quick episode here, wanted to get one knocked out and be sure to look out for next week, mock draft video hitting YouTube. That's going to be a lot of fun. If you, you hear this, see our videos, give it a comment and tell us how fucking idiotic we are making our picks. But regardless, it's going to be interesting. We've got a lot on the on the list of things to come uh, and a lot of hot topics, I'm sure, to discuss with me and Jeff here on Call on the Field Stands. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Peace. <laughs>